Well, good morning to each of you. Sally and I count it a privilege to worship with you here this morning. Uh, as I look out over the congregation, I see a few people that that I hadn't seen for a while. Wendell and Laura, it's good to see you all. Uh, Cousin Wendell, uh, and I think, is that Lynn Wood back there? Uh, from Wills Ridge, and there's a bunch of others of you. Good to have you here. Some from I believe from Bethesda this morning and, and the rest of the locals, it's good to be here to worship with you today. <clears throat> I guess it was about seven months ago that I was in Union Valley for a week of meetings in Pennsylvania, and that was right at the onset of COVID. And so I preached four nights and they terminated my contract and they sent me home. <laughs> I hope it was because of COVID. I think it was because of COVID. But anyway, while I was there in Union Valley, I guess some of you know, um, the bishop would be Bernal Burkholder Jr. Uh, some of you may know him. Um, and some of the, and there's a good many Histons in that area. And while I was there, the Histons gave me a, a CD uh, of some songs. The uh, title of the CD was Lord Give Us a Vision. And I really liked that CD. And one of the songs they sang there I played over and over again. I had a lot of time on the road, so I played that song over and over again. Do you all ever do that? <laughs> well, I really enjoyed that, that song. Uh, and when I preached this sermon at the peak, I had the Roger Martin family to sing that song before the sermon, uh, and I thought that was a little stretch to in, invite them to come here. I considered this morning uh, of having you as a congregation to nominate an impromptu quartet or octet, but I thought not to do that either. But anyway, that song really stood out to me and spoke to me, and especially the chorus. I'll read the, uh, I'll read the first verse and then read the chorus. And the chorus really spoke to me the, uh, the things that were asked in that chorus, and so I decided to dedicate a sermon to that song. Uh, maybe sometime I'll go back and share that at Union Valley. I don't know. But the verse goes like this. Some folks I know by their name, some I know... I just know their face. Some are known by their fame, others known by their race. But in the kingdom of our Lord, each soul has their place. And in my mind, I have no doubt, by name, we've been called out. And the chorus goes like this. And we've been called out for a purpose, called out to be a servant, called out to lift a standard, called out to raise a banner, called out to be a witness, called out to show forgiveness, called out from the world, child, you've been called out. And so I realize that that is not Scripture, and yet uh, we'd like to turn to Scripture here in a little bit. And I have titled the message, We've Been Called Out. If you would, for a text, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Thinking about being called out. Called out of this world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. From personal experience, Peter knew exactly, he knew explicitly what it was to be called out. Mark chapter 1. Thinking about Peter's experience, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The Bible tells us, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and yes, and Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Peter needed to lay some things aside in this call, being called out. He needed to lay aside the security of his home. He needed to lay aside the, a good job and a financial stability. And Peter needed to lay aside his ability to make choices in life as he saw fit and to surrender his allegiance to another. And brothers and sisters, that's what we're going to be called out. If we're going to follow Jesus Christ, we're going to need to lay these things aside, especially our own will and making decisions on our own. We need to surrender that to a higher calling, a higher power in Jesus Christ. So I would submit to you that we're going to need to lay aside some things if we're going to be called out. And I really don't have the uh, vocabulary or nor the ability to explain to you the wonder of these verses in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But from this text, I'd like for you to think with me the glorious transition of being called out of Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom. That's tremendous. It's Yes, Brother Elam, if he was preaching this sermon, he'd probably say, that's tremendous, because he says that pretty often. So being called out, we're called out from spiritual bondage to deliverance and freedom. I want you to think about the glorious transition, called out of Satan's kingdom, called out from the spiritual bondage to deliverance and freedom called out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, called out from being an outcast to being a son or to be in the family of God, and called out from one condemned to die to being reconciled with God. Those are tremendous. I, I hope the Holy Spirit helps you understand how wonderful that transition is. And brothers and sisters, I would suggest to you it's more than just something just being called out. But it's what, what gives life real purpose is what we are called to. What are we called to? The Bible says there in those verses, we are called that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness. So there is a purpose. You are called to show forth his praises as people look at your life? Can they see the character of Jesus Christ? And some of my favorite verses are 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I don't know if I can say those or not. 
Um, I guess I, sh- I should. I guess I have stage fright. <laughs> Second Corinthians. You would think that somebody could quote some of their favorite verses, wouldn't you? Now unto him that is able. No, I better. I better turn to it. Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm sorry. I should have been able to quote those. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Those are some beautiful verses. So number one, we've been called out for a purpose. And I've been impressed recently of how important it is that we are called out, that we live a life that's motivated by a godly purpose. There's something that comes from a godly purpose. What does a godly purpose produce? A godly purpose produces a joy. A godly purpose produces a vibrancy. A godly purpose produces fulfillment that is unattainable in anything that the world has to offer. You know, there's so many people that gravitate toward the world and they want to try this, they want to try that. And they're empty. There's no joy. There's no fulfillment. God gives us that fulfillment and that joy and that vibrancy. If I understand it right, the vast majority of the 7.8 billion people that are living on planet Earth, they're living their lives outside of a concept of a creator, and they're living their lives outside of a concept of one who has given them purpose for life. And to those people, they feel like there's no moral absolutes, and so they just choose whatever comes, and they make their own mind up, and their lives are filled with, with no joy, no fulfillment. And what is the result of those, pe- those kind of people who have no purpose in life? Those people are disillusioned. And I'd like to share a few statistics with you as we think of suicide, in the United States in 2018, there were 44,965 suicides. Can you imagine? 44, almost 45,000 suicides in one year's time in the United States. And how sad it is because those people that take their life, their eternity is sealed. And no, no chance to make, make a change. For every suicide, 25 attempts are made. And so that's close to a million suicides. Or a t- a, yeah. And then suicides cost the United States $69 billion a year. And every day in the United States, there's 123 people commit suicide. And that is 1,075 attempts. People make almost 1,100 attempts to commit suicide. Why would they do that? Because there's no joy, there's no fulfillment in life, there's no purpose. Praise God, he gives us a purpose in life, a joy in life. In Romans 12, verse 1, from another version, it says it this way, Therefore I, therefore I, Paul, urge you, brothers, And view of God's mercy, and here's the purpose following, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So what kind of standard did Peter live by? We talked about these verses from the text coming from Peter. What kind of standard did he live by? Let's look at Acts chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. What purpose did Peter have? Acts chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And when Peter saw it, he answered the people, Ye men of Israel, ye marvel, why marvel ye at this? And why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power and holiness we have made this man well? I'm breaking into the story of the impotent man. Verse 13, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and of the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now verse 16, And his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you that I don't feel I'm, I have near the ability or the clout that Peter did. I'll tell you why I said that. Uh, there was a lady in our congregation yesterday. Uh, her family gave me a call. I was in the chicken house and Sally was away and she didn't have access to a cell, cell phone. And she needed, she needed some help. She was not feeling well and I really wanted to send Sally, but she wasn't available and I said, well, I'll send her as soon as she gets home from town. But I thought, the longer I thought about it, I thought, well, at least I can go up and pray for her. Now, I didn't feel like I could take my hands and lay on her and say, rise up, get out of bed. You know, I'm not a miracle healer, but I have faith in one who is. And I, I felt like I should go and pray for her at least, and then Sally could pick up the pieces when she got there. But are we willing to be involved? You know, we we have our, we put our faith and trust in the Lord, and we make our request to Him, and then we leave the outcome with Him. But anyway, that's that's what happened yesterday. I guess I didn't feel like my faith was as strong as Peter's that I could lay my hands on this lady and tell her to get up but we have faith in one who can. And I really like how Peter, after he did what he and John, what they did, Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone. Uh, let me drop down to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I believe that you all probably have opportunities to make a difference. There's a lot of hurting people in our world today. 
and you can make a difference just like Peter and John made a difference and any good outcome they gave that praise to the Lord and we should do the same and I, I just love that story thinking about being called out with a purpose Moses had a specific purpose Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. What was Moses called to? Come ye now, therefore, God speaking, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God created Moses with a specific purpose. God created Jeremiah with a specific purpose. Jeremiah chapter 1, five, verses 5 to 8. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That was his purpose. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I will send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou, sh thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. God created Jeremiah with a specific purpose. And we read about that there. He sanctified him and ordained him a prophet. What about Paul? Paul had a specific purpose. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. The Bible tells us, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, God speaking to Ananias, to bear my name. What was his purpose? To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I love that verse. God says that this persecutor of the church, he said he's a special He's a chosen vessel unto me, and I love that. Brothers and sisters, God created each one of you for a specific purpose, and I believe that he would say, just as well he said of Paul, this person, you are a chosen vessel unto me, and God has a specific purpose for your life. Are you fulfilling are you running your own life? you choosing? you running to your own initiative, your own agenda? Are you allowing God to make that call? And you are serving because God has a specific purpose for your life. That's what God calls us to. Second point, we've been called out to be a servant. Where would you and I go in Scripture to find a beautiful example of servanthood? Philippians chapter 2 Verses 4 to 8, very familiar. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What does it mean? What did, what did Jesus need to give up 
to follow the will of his father. At least for a time, Jesus gave up equality with the father. Secondly, Jesus gave up his reputation, the Bible says here. Jesus gave up his former glory. Jesus gave up his former residence in heaven. Jesus was willing to be born of his own creation. And Jesus was willing to give up his blood and his very life. I'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. We're thinking about being called out to be a servant. Let a man so account of us and as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. If I understand right, the definition here, let a man so account as of ministers, ministers equal servants of Christ. And I would like to give uh, credit to where credit is due. And if I understand right, John Perfect gave this definition some time ago of a true servant. And what is a true servant? A true servant is an under oarsman. An under oarsman were those that were rowers who went deep in the bowels of the ship and they labored to go wherever the, the captain wants to go. So is that the kind of person you are? You're willing to go into the lower bowels of humanity or the lower bowels of your congregation and you're willing to row, you're willing to serve the Lord Jesus, you're willing to serve your fellow man. Is that the kind of servant? Are you expendable for God and his kingdom? I appreciated that. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. Being called out to be a servant. Luke chapter 17, verse 10. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done that which was our duty to do. So I ask you, I ask myself, when you have a job to do in the life of the church or serving the community, is it, a, is it an obligation or is it a privilege? It makes a lot of difference. If I have to go and preach at Strasbourg this morning or by the grace of God, if if it's a privilege, it's going to make a difference. And I hope I can grow in that. And, you know, it's not like I slid my wheels to come here this morning, but uh, Sally was driving. <laughs> but anyway, uh, let's be sure that when we have a job to do that we appreciate. It's a privilege to do that. We're serving the Lord. We're representing him. Are we doing it because it's an obligation or it's a privilege? Third point of the message. We've been called out to raise a standard. It reminds me of a sermon we heard some time ago. Brother Dave Miller preached a sermon in our church. The title was, it, What Flag Are You Flying? It was a good sermon. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today that they're not ashamed to identify with a sports team or some organization that they want to identify with. Have you ever seen people 
out in the streets wearing air pastel or North Face? Uh, is that the kind of stuff that we as Christians are, should be wearing? We, wanna, we want to promote these. Or maybe it's a sports team. Or maybe we want to wear some Oakley sunglasses. We want people to see that we have Oakleys on. We're wanting to, to project some type of image. Or maybe we want to wear a Rolex watch. Well, this isn't a Rolex, but it's a Timex. But uh, I guess my point is there's a lot of people that are willing to identify with some organization, and they're willing, they want people to know. But, you know, are we representing, are we, what kind of a flag are you raising as it relates to Jesus Christ? Are we flying his flag? Are we happy to, to represent him uh, to a lost and dying world? As my neighbors observe my life, as your neighbors observe your life, is there complete agreement to what you profess on Sunday and the life that you're living through the week? Am I, are you completely transparent before God and men? I heard someone say, one of the bishops within our conference, they said, well, what you see in the week, or let's see, what, I don't remember verbatim, but the way you see, the way, hmm, I don't remember this very well, but the way you see him in the week, whatever he professes on Sunday is how you'll find him in the, in the week. Now, I'm, I didn't do that very well. I'm sorry, but I hope you get the point. The life that we profess on Sunday, is that what people are seeing in the middle of the week? Is there complete agreement between our profession and the actuality of the life that we're living? What are people seeing in our life? What should be our purpose in life? We're talking about purpose and we're talking about raising a standard We've been called out to raise a standard, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. What standard are we to be sharing with the world? Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle. And put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but you know, they, if you ask a Christian how many Gospels there are, they'd say, well, there's four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But you ask the world how many Gospels are, and they'll say there's five. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. And most time, they don't take time to read the first four. So what are they reading? They're reading your life. They're reading my life. Are we confusing them about the Word of God? I hope not. How can we convince others of the depth of God's love? First by experience and second by applying to others what we ourselves have experienced. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. 
thinking about raising a standard, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. You have a lot of opportunity. What are you doing? I wonder sometimes maybe we should pray to be more sensitive to the opportunities. I believe that there's a lot of opportunities come our way, and we're so filled with our own agenda that, that maybe we don't even see them. Maybe we should be praying that God would help us to be more sensitive. Fourth point of the message, we've been called out to be a witness. What does it mean to be called out to be a witness of Jesus Christ? Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The early church, those that were called out, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Called out to be a witness. The Greek word for witness in in the there in in the early part of Acts chapter one. Who can tell me what the Greek word stands for? The word is martus. Do you know what martus? What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus Christ? Anybody can tell me? That's correct. Brothers and sisters, I feel like I fall pretty far short of surrendering myself and my ideas to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you a martyr? For Jesus Christ? Are you willing to, to leave everything into his hands and be expendable for him? Literally or figuratively, it is a martyr. The 11 disciples, there were 11 disciples, if I understand right, I believe it was 10 or 11, that lost their lives because of their love of the Lord Jesus. John, I guess, was the only one. Um, that did not lose his life. Uh, I guess it's not thinking about Judas, but have we, everything that we have, everything that we are, have we surrendered that to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? I don't know if I've shared this story here or not, but I have it in my notes to go with this sermon. Some time ago, 
Don and Betty Heatwell were over in Iraq serving there. Have I shared this story here? Anyway, if I understand right, I think it was when they were coming home. They were in one of the Muslim countries, and they were going through security. They were going through customs. And in the countries over there, they they had the women in in a line. They had the men in a line. And so Betty and Don got separated. And so Betty was going through this line, and Don was nowhere around. And she got up to the lady officer, and the lady officer looked at her and said, are you a Christian? And I asked you ladies, if you were separated from your husband and you was in a Muslim country and they said, are you a Christian? What would you say? I guess a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts were running speedily through her mind. But she said, yes, I'm a Christian. And the lady officer said, I am too. And I think maybe they gave each other a hug or... I'm not sure what transpired, but how would we respond in a Muslim country if we ask, are you a Christian? You know that there's a lot of people, if they convert from from Muslim, from Islam to Christianity, there's a penalty of death hanging on your head. How would you respond? How would I respond? Are you a Christian? Would we identify with Jesus Christ? Are we willing to be a martyr for him? What a challenge. The last point of the message, we've been called out to show forgiveness. You can turn with me. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but Matthew chapter 18 is a beautiful passage. Thinking of forgiveness, the beautiful standard of forgiveness is verses 21 to verse 35. And you know how there was a man there that had two men that had been forgiven everything. One man had been forgiven a little and one forgiven much. But you know the man that had been forgiven so much, he went out and found another man that had wronged him a little and he went out and wrung his neck. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And that's what his intent was. And you know how he had forgotten how much he had been forgiven. And we need, I think that's a classic example. Are we willing to remember how much we've forgiven? Are we willing to extend forgiveness to the same extent that Christ forgave us? Are we willing to do that? We need to remember how much we've been forgiven. And I share this story with you, not because it was a man who served in the military, But as I share this story, I hope you understand in the end why I share it. Louis Zamperini was an American serviceman who was serving in World War II. Louis and some of his men were shot down in the South Pacific, South Pacific, and they drifted in little rafts for 47 days. They battled hunger, they battled thirst, sharks, they battled fear, They battled bullets from Japanese pilots. After that long ordeal, they were they went got on an island and they were uh, Louis was taken into captivity. Uh, He was taken in as a prisoner of war, and there was a Japanese officer, and I'm I don't know Japanese, but I'm going to call his name Watanabe. 
And this Japanese officer took pleasure in, in doing all kinds of vile treatment and beating uh, Louis Zamperini. And Louis consoled himself with the thought of going back to Japan and killing his tormentor. When he got home, Louis Zamperini had nightmares and he turned to drinking and his life was a mess. Horrible, horrible mess. Spiraling, it reminds you of Romans chapter 1, the moral spiral, the vortex of evil that's there in, in Romans chapter 1. In 1949, Billy Graham had a tent set up in Los Angeles for a tent revival. They were planning to go for three weeks, but the tent campaign uh, stretched into eight weeks. And Louis's wife begged him to take her to the meetings. And Louis refused, but I guess maybe she was like Samson's wife, nagged him for long enough. He finally decided, well, I'll take you. But later he agreed to take his wife, and it was... It was in this tent that Louis had a flashback to his experience on the raft, and he remembered a promise that he had made. Louis had made this promise, if you will save me, I'll serve you forever. Louis ended up giving his heart to the Savior. Louis crafted a letter of forgiveness, and he took it along with him. He went to Japan. And he took this letter of forgiveness and he requested a personal meeting with his tormentor, with Watanabe. And it was denied him. And this Watanabe died a bitter man. But Louis had the one who wanted to go and kill his tormentor. He crafted a letter of forgiveness and he offered it to his tormentor. There's many men and women who have given, uh, I'm sorry, there's many men and women who have gone to their grave embracing a heart of bitterness because of an unwillingness to forgive. I know another story that I heard of two sisters that were at odds when they were growing up and through their their married years or later in life, they were at odds. And the one sister was on her deathbed and the other one went to her and wanted to be reconciled. We need to make this thing right. And the, if I understand the story right, the lady in the hospital bed said no. And brothers and sisters, that's a serious thing. Not willing to be reconciled. Uh, it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew, what is it, the, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount? I think it's in chapter 6. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I understand that some years ago that there was a American company who there was some toxic waste that they had and they wanted to get rid of this toxic waste and they thought, well, I know what we can do. We can take this toxic waste, 
we can put it into some barrels. We'll dig dig a big hole and we'll put these barrels down in the ground and we'll, we'll be done with this toxic waste. If I understand right, the toxic waste uh, somehow ate through the barrels and seeped back to the surface and contaminated wells and vegetation and all that. Well, brothers and sisters, that's a vivid picture of what resentment and ill will will do in our heart. Bitterness is toxic, and Hebrews chapter 12 speaks to that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 to 17. Let's go verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know that, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. How sad. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, you and I have been caught out of darkness. We've been caught into that marvelous light, the light of the Lord Jesus. And it's not only to be called out, but what have you been called to? You've been called to show the praises of of him who has given his life. You've been called to demonstrate his praises to a lost and a dying world. And I don't need to tell you there's a lot of people in our world today that in essence they're asking the same question that Pilate was asking. What is truth? Where can you find truth? And I believe today in our world we're going to you probably will have more and more opportunity to state your belief of what truth is. Are we willing to be those that will spread the truth of the gospel? Like I said, I realize that, that this song was, was, is not scripture, but that course really, really spoke to me. What have you been called out for? What is your purpose in life? Number one, we've been called out for a purpose. You've been called out to be a servant. You've been called out to be an under oarsman to row wherever the governor listeth. You've been called out to, to be a servant. You've been called out to lift a standard. What kind of flag are you flying? You've been called out to be a witness. And you've been called out to show forgiveness. May God help us to that end.